I really, really enjoy uh, scaring my kids. I love it. I love uh, scaring Katie as well, but she's she's not a big fan. But I'll see my kids coming up the steps of our house after being away somewhere, and uh, I'll run to the door and hide behind it so that when they come in, I'm right behind them, and I can poke them or yell at them or say, boo. I'll walk up behind them when they have their headphones on uh, in the kitchen and just stand there waiting patiently for them to turn around and walk right into me. I get great joy, probably too much joy out of this. I believe I think I inherited this uh, joy from my dad. And I remember one particular time where I had a friend over and we were hanging out in this room in our house that you could only get to by a ladder. It wasn't a spooky room, but it was enclosed and had spooky elements, I guess, to it. Now, my friend and I were up there after dark. We had the lights on, but uh, it was dark outside. Now, one of the windows of this room looked out over our roof, which you could get to if you had a ladder and an interest in terrifying your kids. So my dad found this hideous goblin mask, not funny scary, but scary scary. And he got on the roof and he put the mask on and stood in the window and waited and waited. And after a while, you know how you just get that sense that something in your peripheral vision is off? Something in my brain identified that there was something out there that wasn't quite right. So I looked over my shoulder and in the window is this awful hobgoblin creature just staring at me. No noise, no movement, perfectly still, staring into the depths of my soul. And I screamed like only a fifth grade pre-adolescent boy can scream. And as I remember it, my dad just doubles over, cracking up laughing, and runs in to tell my mom of his uh, great achievement. He found incredible joy in my incredible fear. Now, this angel that we read about in our gospel passage must have known that the sight of him was going to strike absolute terror into the shepherds' hearts. But what joy the angel must have had Not the demented joy of a father scaring his dearly beloved child, but the joy of bringing the message of salvation, the joy of telling them that he has an amazing gift for them. Great fear and then great joy. The shepherds are being given an incredible gift through an astounding message, but At first, it terrifies them. The old King James translation says they were sore afraid. What you have here is the typical ancient way of making a strong point by repeating a word. We don't see this in English, but underneath there we have the Greek word for fear, which is phobos. And it literally says they were phobeo phobos. They were afraid with fear. When someone jumps out from behind a door, you're phobeo. When you're 10 years old and it's dark and you see a goblin staring at you through a dark window, you're phobeo phobos. The glory 
of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Maybe that seems pretty obvious. They're in their fields, and all of a sudden, there's this tremendous, inexplicable sight. Not a precious moments kind of angel, but a a fiery angel. It's a a fight-or-flight moment. The angel of the Lord is coming in great power. But I think if we relate to these shepherds as humans, that we could probably assume that there's something deeper here. There's a deeper fear because the angel does not seek to immediately assuage their fear, but he wants them to realize this deeper terror that they are experiencing. And he doesn't assuage their fear by explaining the physics of how he has appeared and not by telling them that their fears are unfounded or irrational. But instead, fear not, I have a message for you. I want to tell you something that will take away your fear and bring you into inexplicable joy. Now, Luke is not simply relaying to us simply a historic episode, but a representative one. We need to see ourselves in these shepherds. We need to see their fear as a proxy for our own. What they were afraid of deep down wasn't so much the physical phenomenon of the angel, but it's the appearance of the light of God. It's the sudden presence of God. You see, the glory of the Lord shone all around the angel. Glory is God's character. It's his majesty. It's his irrepressible power and holiness. It's his uncontrollable, radiant light. And this is what causes fear. In John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness instead of light. Now, if you're like I am, you might like to think of yourself as someone who seeks the light, who seeks the truth. You're not hiding from enlightenment, but what happens when that light or truth contradicts our most cherished narratives about ourselves? What do you do when the light threatens our core values, our sense of who we are, our sense of control? We don't even like when truth contradicts our political narratives, but certainly we're much more guarded about our own individual story and the narrative that we've created to make our way in the world. We avoid this kind of revelation. We hide from this kind of truth and light. We prefer to stay in the dark because then we don't have to change. We don't have to see ourselves in an unflattering perspective. We hide ourselves oftentimes, don't we, from light that exposes our inner darkness, that uncovers our vulnerability. This isn't light that we necessarily seek out, but it's light that makes us afraid, just like these shepherds. These shepherds knew more than 
at any other time that they were creatures, that they were contingent, that they were not really in control of their lives and their future. And so they were afraid, justifiably so, just like you and I would be. But what changes their fear to joy? They find out that the person who is in control is a God who harbors an inexplicable love for them, who is for them, who longs to bring them joy. In verse 10, the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, I don't want you to see just the goal that is joy, but also the means or the agent, because the angel says, I bring you. What were these shepherds doing? Tending their sheep, hanging out in the fields, having a conversation, doing their job. They're going about their everyday lives and grace breaks upon them. Grace enters their world. Grace intrudes. It comes upon you. I bring you great, no- great news of great joy, the angel says. And in these three words, I bring you, really lies the heart of Advent, the heart of Christianity. Because the angel comes saying, not adopt this new system of spirituality. Here's a curriculum to follow. Live by this moral code and then you will be acceptable to me. No, he says, I bring you. God comes upon you. God comes down. And grace, as we often say in baptism, comes upon those who don't deserve it and who aren't necessarily even looking for it. We don't need a teacher alone, a guru, a guide, a moral example. All of these things have their place. But what we need most fundamentally is we need God to break into our story. We need the light to intrude and shine in the midst of our darkness. This passage tells us that we need a Savior. Verse 11 says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do not fear, but behold, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. There is justifiable, understandable, maybe unavoidable fear when the angel initially arrives. But the truth is most of us are already afraid. Many of us live in fear. We are sore afraid. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being insignificant. We're afraid that if we stop what we're doing long enough that we won't know who we are anymore. God knew our fear. He knows we are afraid. And he sent us his son who would carry away our fears forever. 
this liberation, this security, this solution to our existential dread, it passes first through the terror of recognizing that we are wholly contingent beings, through the panic that comes that accompanies the realization that we are dependent upon rescue. Joy, as it turns out, is located on the other side of terror. For it is only on the other side of encountering the angel that we can find the truth about ourselves and the truth about God that leads to joy. And the truth that we find, the gospel message says that though we were, though we are afraid, that Jesus was courageous in our stead. Though we prefer hiding and pretending and trying to find joy by controlling our worlds and controlling those around us, Jesus came on behalf of the untamable, the uncontrollable God. And Jesus comes and bows before the human machinery of fear. He is stripped naked. He is exposed for us. And giving himself over to death, perhaps our greatest fear, he conquers it on our behalf. And friends, this Christmas season, this Advent, our joy is to be found when we behold when we really come to the realization that though everyone else may reject us, though we may not get what we want out of life, though we can't control our future, we can't pay for our sins, that God sends a son. He sends a Messiah. He sends a Lord. He sends a Savior in the form of a child. That in our dark and scary world, there is light. In our dark and scary hearts, Jesus can make a home. This announcement gives rise to fear. God has come like so many times in the past with power, with holiness, with fire, with the display of his greatness. But what that encapsulates is a message that leads to a revelation of a God in a manger. A child who brings hope to a place that is dingy and smelly and very unimpressive. And he tells us as he comes in that child that we are not alone in this world. That we are not unloved. That we are not insignificant. That there is a God who created us in joy, and he is not afraid to take up residence in hearts like ours. In fact, that's where he's most at home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for coming into our world those many centuries ago. We thank you for stories like the Christmas story that are so inspiring and endearing that are celebrated so widely, even in our secular culture. And yet, a story that is so much deeper than just mythology, that is so much deeper than just hopeful wishfulness and sentimentality, but a hope that is grounded in the God of the universe, who emanates love from the very center of his being. 
And we are so grateful that you have included us in that love. And we pray that we would live out that love this week and through the rest of our Advent season. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus, who came to rescue us all. And in his name, amen.